Hi, and welcome to Stefan Libero Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. Today, for episode 331, my guest is E.L. Sirion, or aka Eric Sirion. We're talking about mini mint, and so this is around federated mints. This is actually, in some sense, it's a advancement of an older idea of Xiaomi and eCash. So the idea is federated mints, and that that you could deposit in an IOU, and there's we can talk through the process: deposits, withdrawals, internal transfers, and then how Lightning comes into it as well. But essentially, this is an interesting area of research. It's being actually sponsored by Blockstream, and so we talk about some of the benefits for Bitcoin users from a Bitcoin scaling and privacy point of view, as well as the custodial and trust trade-offs, as well as where we see this going. Is this potentially the future for community custody? This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the easy way to accumulate and learn about Bitcoin. And now Swan is bringing back gifting. So Swan actually started as Give Bitcoin, and later that product had to get taken away. And now it's back. We've got the holidays coming up, and if you want to gift Bitcoin to your loved ones, SwanBitcoin.com/gifts. You can gift Bitcoin, and you're giving them alongside that. You're giving them access to Swan's world-class education and customer service. You create a custom gift. Your recipient gets an email. They can claim it in seven days. And so they create their Swan account and convert that USD value into Bitcoin. So that website is swanbitcoin.com gift. Lend at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform where you can lend or borrow stablecoins globally and anonymously using Bitcoin as collateral. And you don't have to use KYC. To do this with Lend at Hodl Hodl, you no longer need to sell your Bitcoin to get some short-term liquidity. You can borrow stablecoins against your Bitcoin, and you still control one out of three keys in the multi-signature escrow throughout the whole deal. Now, on the other hand, if you have stablecoins like USDT on Liquid, you can use that to earn some interest by lending out stablecoins, and you define the terms and the APR for those deals. So go and sign up. The website is lend.hodlhodl.com. If you want to get started with Bitcoin mining, Compass Mining can help. CompassMining.io is the website. You can go there, you can select an ASIC machine, and they've got new ones and also secondhand machines available on the Compass Marketplace. And so then you select a hosting facility where your machine is going to be operated. There are mining facilities all in different countries, and you can select the mining pool that you point your hash rate towards, and you're receiving Bitcoin. Now, you're paying hosting, but this is an easy way to get access to power rates that otherwise wouldn't be feasible for most people in residential power rates. Now, the Compass offer a lot of content as well. They've got podcasts and blogs and a newsletter also, so go and check them out. It's compassmining.io. On to the show with Eric. Eric, welcome to the show. Hello. Yeah, happy to be on. Nice to meet you. Yeah, so uh, Eric, it was uh, great to um, you know read about your proposal and read about what's going on with MiniMint and all this stuff. And I think it's definitely uh, a topic that SLP listeners will be interested to hear about ideas related to this privacy, scalability, all sorts of things. So, do you want to you know give us a little bit of your background uh, that you'll as much as you're willing to share without doxing, of course? Yeah, sure. Like uh, my background is in computer science and especially in distributed systems and cryptography so that naturally led me to uh, explore different like uh, systems like liquid uh, on bitcoin and uh, federations uh, byzantine fault tolerance and at some point i had this idea for chowmin ecash and building it like on bitcoin that's uh, why we're here today excellent and so for listeners who are not familiar what is chowmin ecash 
Yeah, most simply explained, uh, I think it's a way to exchange some asset that has value, for example, Bitcoin, for an IOU token. And that IOU token has this nice property that is fully anonymous. Um, like you engage in a protocol with the, let's call it Mint, because uh, we can say it's like a minting process when these IOU tokens are created and you send the mint uh, some amount of money and in return you get IOU tokens and uh, later on when you want to spend them the mint can't recognize during which issuing operation they were actually created so you're fully anonymous which is great. Right. And so listeners who are maybe new to Bitcoin, you might recognize that Chalmian eCash and this whole idea by David Chalm is arguably like a predecessor idea to Bitcoin. It was, it's been around for, for a while before Bitcoin. Obviously, there's certain distinctions between this idea of like a IOU token, because obviously in Bitcoin, we're also all about this idea of not your keys, not your coins, don't trust IOUs, etc. But why, why would we even look at these IOUs? What are the benefits of this kind of system and the trade-offs versus literally just hold, you know, hodling Bitcoin? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because uh, like Xiaomi eCash has been around since the early 80s, but it never really caught on. And my theory for why is that you always had the centralized entity, the Mint, uh, which controlled all the money and thus could easily either exit scam their users or could be taken down by a hostile government. Uh, and they tend to be hostile against uh, like anything that has to do with uh, anonymity and privacy. So it's no wonder that we don't see big uh, Xiaomi and Mints today. Um, so, but what they didn't have back then was a way to hold an asset in a distributed manner. And we have that today. Like with Bitcoin, you can hold value in a multisig wallet. And that means, for example, if you have a two or three multisig wallet, that only if two or three people cooperate, they can actually spend the Bitcoin. And that's, that made it really interesting to revisit the concept of Xiaomin eCash. Because now we don't need to have the centralized entity, uh, but could still get the privacy properties from the Xiaomin eCash protocol. Uh, and in the way we do this is uh, the backing funds are now held in a multisig wallet, while also the issuing operation of these tokens can be distributed using fancy cryptography. We probably don't need to get into this here, but uh, essentially you're taking the Xiaomin Mint and you split it up into multiple parts. And now a certain amount of these parts can become malicious, actively malicious without the whole uh, being badly influenced. Right. And so essentially it offers different characteristics. And now with Bitcoin and multi-signature technology allowing us to have multiple people who are signing a transaction, we're, we're sort of taking that idea even further. So it's kind of like you've got Bitcoin where typically people are thinking of like, oh, I've got my coins in my hardware wallet or in my, you know, whatever. Then you might have Liquid as an example, which is a federation and people peg in and peg out. And so it's a side chain. And then taking it even further is this idea of the federated mint. And so that's what you're explaining here. So could you tell us a little bit about this idea of a federated mint? Like how would it work? Who would sign up to be a member? How would you use it? Yeah, like um, the main benefits, as we already touched on, are one, privacy. That's what I already mentioned. And also scalability to some degree. Because um, mints also allow you to do uh, internal transactions with these eCash tokens. And that's the second big uh, reason why we might want them. And so to the question, who would potentially be users? Uh, I guess like most people actually uh, that want to use Bitcoin in some way. Um, and why? Because like the biggest problem or one of the biggest problem Bitcoin has today is scalability. And 
we can solve this to some degree with lightning, but uh, like lightning is really cumbersome to run for an end, from an end user's point of view. And so even today we see many people using custodial solutions. And uh, like these people that today use custodial solutions, uh, these are my primary uh, target audience. Like of course everyone else who wants some privacy can use a federated eCache too. But the primary audience are users of like fully custodial services today, because for them it's a clear improvement over the state of affairs right now. And who would run these federations? Uh, like I can only uh, theorize about that. But for example, I can imagine like your local community, if you're living in a village in El Salvador, uh, probably has some technical people, and they can be the federation members while the others are only users. And we are already seeing this with um, with Galoi and Bitcoin Beach Wallet. They have a very similar approach, a bit more manual and uh, without the privacy properties. But essentially, they're running the same model there. And it works. And it's great. And what I want to see is many of these federations distributed around the world. And you just choose whichever federation you trust, you want to trust. Because you might already have an existing trust relationship, especially in your local community. It's not a big deal to maybe trust uh, some of your neighbors, uh, like you're trusting them anyway. And since no single one of them has full control over your funds, uh, there's also not so much risk that they just run away one day because of some uh, long tail event, like some Black Swan event, uh, because they would still need to convince others uh, to defect with them. I see. Yeah. And so just for listeners who just so everyone can follow along, you might be interested in the earlier episode I did with the Bitcoin Beach guys. But a quick high level is this idea is it is a custodial lightning wallet and people can onboard to the Bitcoin Beach wallet. It's a custodial wallet and they can send and receive lightning and it's interoperable with the broader lightning network. But in the background, they also have on-chain storage and that is done with a multi-signature so we so listeners could think of this federated mint or mini mint idea as sort of like a competitor idea to that but in a similar way that theoretically there could be lots of these mints around the world people could be trading in an iou way but that could arguably be a little bit better or maybe a little bit more private maybe a little bit more scalable and the idea as i'm understanding from you is that it could still be interoperable with other mints around the world and you could sort of swap in and out of mints and into on-chain or into lightning but potentially yeah like that's a central part of um, my more recent research into this idea like initially I was just thinking about the federated eCash part and like how to build it on Bitcoin uh, using on-chain uh, like primitives. But the more I thought about it, uh, the more it became clear to me that if we have to mint only uh, uh, able to interact with on-chain Bitcoin, then it will be a big centralizing force because people couldn't easily switch between different uh, mints. And if they would want to, then that either have to be some trust relationship, uh, which is not good because that just becomes like this old banking network where banks uh, trust each other and settle their payments at, at the end of the day. Uh, we don't want this as Bitcoiners. So biggest uh, like improvement after that point was integrating Lightning. Uh, and with the help of some people, some other developers, I figured out how to um, uh, integrate both incoming and outgoing lightning transactions with uh, federated eCash and that essentially is, makes it into a supercharged uh, lightning wallet. Like now you have a fully anonymous uh, lightning wallet uh, that can interact with any other uh, lightning node uh, like through invoices and the other lightning node on the other end might be another mint, might not be another mint. Uh, you don't even have to know. Uh, so it forms this network of uh, federations uh, included in the bigger lightning network. 
which I think is quite beautiful. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting. So we'll get into some more around that later. I, I think it'd be good to just talk through some of the high level ideas like so deposit, withdraw, internal transactions. Right. If you could tell us a little bit, what does it look like? So, OK, as an example, I bring my, I don't know, 10 million sats and I want to deposit them into the mint. What does that look like? What's going on under the hood when I do when I deposit my 10 million sats? Right. Let's assume uh, for a moment that you have on-chain Bitcoin and want to deposit these into the mint. Then what you do is much like with Liquid. Uh, people might not be familiar with this, so I will explain it uh, for a moment. You generate yourself an address, uh, which you know is related to the um, Federation's public keys in a certain way. Uh, we, we call the operation done there uh, key tweaking. Like you add um, some secret value to public key. And that gives you a new public key. And uh, you can do this to all the federation's public keys and then generate the multisig address that way uh, because you know the public uh, descriptor of the federation. And then you send your satoshis, your 10 million satoshis uh, to this generated address. Now, the mint can't yet do anything with these coins because it doesn't even know it owns them. So in the next step, what you do is you show the mint um, the secret value used for tweaking. And by doing so, you also verify yourself that it was actually you who sent these funds there. Uh, because no one else uh, could have known the secret tweaking value which led to this address. And the secret tweaking value is also needed uh, to even spend these coins. So by giving it to the mint, you transfer the ownership in a sense. And uh, in return, the Mint will issue you um, a certain amount of these eCash tokens. Because one thing that uh, really needs to be mentioned here, uh, to be anonymous, these eCash tokens need to have a common denomination. And that might be like one Satoshi. And uh, like in the really naive model, you would now get 10 million of these eCash tokens. Um, but that wouldn't be very efficient. So in the more like engineered uh, version of this, you would get uh, instead like one eCash token that is worth uh, 10 million sets or like 10 eCash tokens that are worth 1 million sets, depending on how you want to uh, manage your uh, eCash tokens. That's up to the user. And you would engage in this uh, interactive issuing process, essentially. And once you have the eCash tokens, the Mint can't tell anymore um, in exchange for which Bitcoin transactions these were initially issued. And you can do whatever you want. Like you can send them uh, to another user, like physically send the data to another user, and then the user can go to the mint and uh, exchange them for new eCash tokens. That would be like a transaction, kind of, because um, by giving the eCash token back to the mint, you validate uh, if it was already spent. So you really need to do this to avoid double spends. Um, and the user who received your tokens uh, then gets fresh tokens. You don't know anything about them. The mint doesn't know anything about them. Uh, so it's fully anonymous again. Or what you could also do is uh, use some of the tokens to generate new on-chain outputs by telling the Mint, please give me a, a 1 million set on-chain output to this address and I give you uh, this one, 1 million Satoshi eCash token. Or also give the Mint some Lightning invoice and tell them, please pay this for me and I will give you the equivalent uh, amount of eCash tokens in exchange. So there are a lot of options you have to interact with the Mint. Right. And so we could think of it like, so those listeners who are used to Lightning, they could sort of, in a loose sense, think of it like a swap server, kind of. Like you can swap in Bitcoin on chain and swap it out yeah, to pretty Lightning. Much. Pretty much. Sort of, in a weird way. And so essentially, we 
are potentially getting more privacy for the user who i guess presumably they might connect over tor or some kind of yeah. anonymization uh net layer or network and so then the idea is this federated mint doesn't know who i am right for as for all intents and purposes i'm just this other person on the other side of the internet it, i didn't have to do kyc know your customer rules i didn't have to provide my id and yet i can peg in some bitcoin into this system and transact around inside that system in the private eCash tokens and then when i need to pay out to a lightning invoice or swap it out to a bitcoin on-chain address correct exactly um and the beauty of the system is uh that really there aren't any accounts like at least in the pure eCash version uh like you every time you connect to the mint you could do it using a different uh tour circuit uh, like at least in the final version it will be the way you do it like currently in my implementation it isn't that the way yet um, but in the final version you should use a different tour circuit every time so you can't be correlated like if you do multiple operations after each other then the mint won't be any wiser uh, wiser who did this uh, because the eCash tokens are fully anonymous uh, like you have an anonymity set of every eCash token ever issued uh, of the same denomination like if you imagine Alice, Bob and Carol getting uh, like each one eCash token issued and then someone spends an eCash token, then the Mint can't tell if it's Alice, Bob or Carol. Just not possible to tell. I see, yeah. So it gives you a very high amount of anonymity and especially with Lightning, like all the attacks on Lightning privacy are essentially that you surveil channels and that you correlate like payments to node IDs. But in this way, like multiple users are using the same Lightning node. So it gives you uh, the entire federation uh, user base as an anonymity set, which is quite a nice improvement in my opinion, because neither the Mint can tell anything. Like they only see someone spending eCash tokens to pay a Lightning invoice. Uh, like they can maybe learn something from Lightning invoice, but you can strip it from uh, of the description and some of the metadata. You can just take it out of there because it's not needed. Uh, like the only thing they really learn is to whom you pay, and even that can be solved eventually. Like, um, I remember you had uh, Bastian uh, Tetanier uh, on your podcast and uh, you discussed some ways to do this, uh, like to even hide the recipient of a payment. And once this lands for Lightning, then such a federated eCash mint would be the ultimate private uh, Lightning wallet. Yeah, really fascinating to think about. And so as an example, let's say we've got this network of, I don't know how many, tens, thousands of mints out there. Tell me if this idea makes any sense. Like, let's say I, as an example... I put in my 10 million sats, I receive my 10, 1 million sat eCash tokens. Would it make sense to ever try to swap across to different federated mints? Or is it more just like I am placing a little bit more trust into this one particular mint who I got those IOU tokens from? Uh, I actually did some research on that uh, because there was a discussion on Twitter some time ago. If it's better to, uh, let's say you have a mint with four participants, a federation with four participants, and would it be better to evenly split your funds over these four participants individually or to form a federation and put all your funds into the federation? And uh, actually the answer depends on with which probability you assume any single participant uh, to defect, like assuming they're independent actors and are not correlated in any way. And as long as your expectation is like below 20% uh, defection rate, you should really just leave it in one big federation. Um, that depends a little bit on federation size and some other factors, but generally the federation is safer. Uh, the main 
drawback I'd say is that the larger you make the federation, the slower it becomes. Uh, like all the BFT consensus algorithms, they scale badly with the size of uh, the federation. So eventually you want to set a limit to the federation size. And so maybe for some people it makes sense to diversify over multiple federations. But then again, that makes payments harder because at least currently I'm planning to implement payments in a way that you can only use funds from one federation for a lightning payment, let's say. And so you'd have to switch back to one federation before making like a big payment of all your funds going somewhere else. Uh, so it's a trade-off, but generally, I imagine in the future, when there are multiple of these federations, they all speak an interoperable protocol. So if you have a client that could totally like just support multiple federations and you could have funds in multiple federations, right? just makes engineering a bit more ex uh, bit harder and maybe you exit a little bit uh, less easy. Okay. And so as an example for that user with presumably they have some kind of wallet that manages their eCash tokens and they... I guess, would that wallet now have to manage balances across multiple federated mints, as an example? Or is it more like you maybe the model might be more like an exchange or, you know, let's say, a Bitcoin beach or some other town or some area who wants to set it up? Everyone just has the wallet, and that wallet just connects only to that one federated mint for lightning payments, Bitcoin payments, you name it. Yeah, I think in practice it will be like that, that you only have one mint you call your home mint and that's where you keep all your funds. And uh, like if someone from another mint wants to pay you, then you can just generate a lightning invoice. And like your local mint generates this lightning invoice and will give you the funds after it's paid. Um, there are some tricks to do this. And so it doesn't really make sense for most users, in my opinion, to hold funds on multiple mints. Maybe if they're in different communities, uh, it might make a little bit of sense because like if you're paying purely internally uh, you cut out the lightning part so it gets a little bit faster um, but in the end i think for most users it's easiest uh, also from a mo mental model perspective you need to make this understandable to users to have good ux of course that in the end you just choose one mint uh, one federation you trust and then you use them and don't care about anything else Right. And so, yeah, so I think really it's sort of similar to how if you think how the Bitcoin Beach wallet works when they create a lightning invoice, any other lightning wallet can just pay that invoice. And so it's a similar kind of idea that this mint is its own. It's each of these mints are around there and your your wallet would connect to that mint as an example. So we spoke a little bit about deposit. We've spoken a little bit about withdrawing. So I guess you're spending out of the mint. You're kind of withdrawing your eCash tokens in that sense, or you're paying out a lightning invoice. And then Internal transactions, is there obviously that would be kind of the easiest of the category because you would just be paying internally to some other uh, person who's also a part of your mint, right? Yeah, like I already explained how you could just give uh, these eCash tokens to someone else. That would be the simplest internal transaction. I see, yeah. Um, and they can go to the mint and request newly issued tokens in exchange for burning the old ones. And that would give them uh, like full access to their newly received coins because now they know they were in double spend. Uh, but in practice, I don't expect this to happen that much because it's a UX problem again. So if you ha now have to decide, do I want to generate like an internal invoice or an ex external invoice? That doesn't really work that well because then people need to know, are we on the same mint and uh, right. what this kind of transaction? Pra very practical yeah. to do that. It's, yeah. Exactly. Like it's yeah. the same problem Shivo has currently. 
um, in El Salvador. Like you never really know uh, if the one who is uh, get generating your invoice, are they generating Shivo invoice or Lightning invoice? Uh, so it's a big mess and you really want to avoid this. So instead what I'd be doing is even if two people are in the same federation, you can still generate an invoice, but the federation just recognizes internally, yeah, we don't really have to pay it over Lightning because we own both sides of the equation and we can just settle it internally. So that's no big deal. Yeah, I see. I see. Okay. And so I guess that's the other question. As people are using this kind of idea, maybe, I mean, there's different ways it could work, but maybe one way is people might have most of their coin on say their hardware wallet or their multi-signature setup and then maybe the, the amount that they keep inside the mint is more like the day-to-day spending amount is that potentially one way you're seeing it so that like they wouldn't be risking all their funds they're just risking a small portion is that how you're seeing it or do you see it another way yeah in the beginning definitely um, i mean there are different use cases for this technology like the one you're mentioning is Bitcoin users today that might even be able to run their own Lightning node uh, financially and technically, they might want some privacy because Lightning isn't the uh, end-all be-all for Bitcoin privacy. So that would still be an improvement. And if you only risk some day-to-day spending funds, that's definitely okay with Federation. Like it would probably even be okay in like a single mint, uh, like a single segment. But... Like down the road, what I imagine is that people might actually keep their entire net worth, like especially in poorer countries where your entire net worth might be a few hundred dollars, might keep it all in such a federation. And that's the market where I think it will have the most positive impact because that's a market that is traditionally underserved because it doesn't make sense for banks to be there. Like say El Salvador, most people don't even have a bank account. I think I read somewhere that uh, like more people have Chivo wallet than a bank account, which is amazing, like after a few months. Um, so in these markets, people might not be able to uh, actually have on-chain Bitcoin. And that's where it actually makes sense to have this federation, to have all this complication from distributed protocols and uh, all the stuff. Because if you have all your life savings in such a... Um, such a protocol then truly really needs to be secure and you can only achieve this uh, via distribution via like uh, having multiple parties that run it and so down the road uh, in these communities i think there might be people that only rely on such federations to uh, make their payments to save and yeah uh, there are some interesting ideas about this uh, we can yeah. maybe discuss later yeah okay and so for like to be clear again we the users of this mint are essentially trusting the operators of that mint to not run away with the money, right? Like that's the IOU part, like they could run away with the actual on-chain funds, the actual Bitcoin, right? But that's but the trade-off here is essentially that these are people who might have otherwise been custodial with an exchange or custodial just like never or only having paper Bitcoin in the sense of having, let's say, GBTC or, you know, some, uh, one of those like paper synthetic exposure to bitcoin as opposed to having some way to actually pull it out and claim it on chain or into a lightning wallet or into something yeah definitely like the people i was talking about that might have all their money in the federation they would never really have a chance to go on chain like they would be on a custodial solution either way and the big benefit of a federation is that even if like let's say we have a four 
for member federation. Then one may be malicious and it all keeps working. Like you can still make payments, uh, still works. Like if two are malicious, then the operation, uh, it's not operational anymore. So you, so you can't make payments anymore and they might try to extort you. But they still can steal funds. That's the big part. And only if three or four people go malicious, then they could actually take the funds, which in my opinion is much better chance of uh, keeping your funds than on most exchanges. Um, right. Yeah. Like especially if these people are someone you kind of know, like they have uh, trust of the community and they would burn a lot of social capital and it might make it not worth it to cooperate and just take all the money. Right. Yeah. Especially if these mints don't get too big. Like the idea is behind having many of these and having them interoperable that none becomes too big to fail. Like they should all stay rather small and um, like in their community so that we never have systemic uh, risks to Bitcoin. I see. Yeah. And in fairness, there are a lot of exchange users who just leave it and trust the exchange. And obviously in years gone by, there have been exchanges who have been very lax about their security and have been operating with, say, a single signature setup where maybe the CEO of the company or one person could just steal all the Bitcoin. So this is obviously a, (laughs) this is like quite a, quite a strict improvement on that. So that's an interesting idea. Now we were talking about fee savings and scalability. I guess maybe this is a little bit of a, how long is a piece of string question, but could you outline for people how they should think about the fee saving or scalability win here? Like on a purely technical level, the first saving comes from multiple people sharing one lightning node. And that's something that could also be achieved using um, like, what was it called? Uh, channel factories, uh, where multiple people share UTXOs and um, like share a set of channels. But uh, channel factories are still very uh, theoretical right now and also will require people to be online all the time. And like that's, in my opinion, not quite suitable for the demographic I'm targeting. And uh, so the big benefit here is that let's say you have uh, 100 or 1,000 people in your local community, and instead of everyone managing their own Lightning node, which means at least opening one channel and eventually closing it, now you maybe have one node that has 10 channels, and that reduces the amount of on-chain transactions uh, by 10 to 100x in that uh, scenario. Apart from that, of course, you also hold some on-chain UTXOs as the backing funds of the Federation, but I think their movement will be negligible compared to uh, like rebalancing lightning channels, which would probably be a a much more common scenario. And so it's definitely a big improvement in scalability. And also when you're not using lightning, especially in the local community context, if everyone is on the same mint, then you can essentially make in definitely many transactions like as many as you want uh, as long as the computers running the federation members uh, servers as long as they're fast enough to process all the requests yeah and that's the only limiting factor and that could be uh, hundreds of transactions per second yeah i see and so potentially that could be huge huge fee savings then um because many let's say hundreds or thousands of users could all be operating off of one mint and all of their uh, payments and receiving information is being essentially bundled into this entity as opposed to each of those people opening their own lightning channels, doing their own everything. Uh, of course, there's certain trade-offs around this, but as we mentioned earlier, these are the people who might not have been, who might have been custodial users anyway. Uh, 
And so also one other thing, you mentioned um, the idea of channel factories, or also known as multi-party channels. And so that would require any prev out, which is another potential future soft fork upgrade. And so Christian Decker and AJ Towns and people like that are working on that kind of idea or have written about it. What Are there any changes to Bitcoin required for this, uh, for this mini-mint idea? Um, not really. There, there never was any necessity. But now with... With Taproot, we actually have an upgrade path uh, where we can take the federated on-chain wallet and uh, make the transactions much smaller because now instead of needing this, let's say we have a three out of four uh, federation, then right now we need to include uh, three signatures and uh, four public keys with each um, transaction. And instead what we can do now is bundle them all together into one Schnorr public key, one Schnorr signature using some... Um, special signature protocol like Frost. And now we have much smaller transactions that are also indistinguishable from any other Taproot transaction, which is great. I see. Yeah. And so for listeners who are unfamiliar with that one, go and check out the earlier episode 200 with Christian Decker, or perhaps the earlier episode, uh, the panel discussion with uh, from TabCon for about Bitcoin on-chain scaling. Um, and so Eric, the other question I've got for you is, What's required for the federation runners, like the you know the uncle Jims of this federation, or the what what kind of work are they doing in this? Is is it essentially they're helping manage a multi-sig of the on-chain outputs, and then potentially also helping manage the lightning node that's I guess attached to this mini mint? Is that the idea? Yeah, like uh, we haven't been talking about uh, the actual way to integrate lightning with this uh, all that much yet, uh, so. Uh, there is a distinction to be made between the federation, the federation proper, which holds all the funds and is um, secure and uh, N out of M multisig. And there's also an external entity, which I call the Lightning Gateway, which actually makes all the Lightning transactions. And um, the federation merely incentivizes this Lightning Gateway to um, do the transactions the user wants. Um, so for the... Um, Actual Federation members, all they have to do is run some software that um, is configured in a certain way that all the nodes connect to each other and you run it and forget about it more or less. Like that's at least the idea. Then the Lightning Gateway, it's a little bit more complicated. That actually needs active management because it's a Lightning node. You need to balance channels and open new ones, close old ones. There you really need someone technical. Like for the Federation members, you can actually say like, as long as someone can install a piece of software and keep a computer running consistently and in a secure enough manner, then they can do it. With the Lightning node, it's more complicated. You need an expert. Back to the show in a moment. Unchained Capital are making it easy to set up your Bitcoin multi-signature security with collaborative custody. So you hold two hardware wallets and they hold one key and you obviously keep your keys in different locations. Now, if you bring two hardware wallets to Unchained.com, you can sign up and do this for free. Otherwise, if you are interested to get some more handholding, they've got a concierge onboarding program, which is very popular. You can purchase the program. They will ship you to hardware wallets. You'll have a video call to get set up and you and they will then deposit $1,000 of Bitcoin in your vault. With Bitcoin security, it's important to remove single points of failure. And so this can give you some more peace of mind in your Bitcoin security and hodling. So go to unchained.com, select the concierge onboarding program, and use the code LEVERA for a discount there. When it comes to Bitcoin hardware security, coinkite.com is the place to go. 
they offer the cold card. So the cold card is a Bitcoin hardware wallet. You can generate the keys, store the private keys and sign messages using those private keys. Now, if you are new, you can directly plug that wallet into the computer using laptops like Spectre Desktop, Sparrow and Electrum. Otherwise, if you are intermediate or advanced, you can use a micro SD card to move that information back and forth, whether that is the wallet XPUB or it is a transaction that you're moving back and forth. Cold card offers all sorts of features like a duress pin, brick me pin, seed XOR. You can run passphrases on it. It's got an address explorer, all sorts of other features, and it's just an excellent all-round tool that you can use as part of your Bitcoin security setup. So go to coinkite.com and order your gear there using the code Levera for a discount. And finally, Brains. Brains are a Bitcoin mining company through and through. They have unique and cutting edge projects such as Brains OS Plus, which is firmware for your ASIC. So go and check the website out and see whether they support your ASIC machine. You might be able to use the auto tuning feature to get more bang for your buck. They also operate Slush Pool, which was the first mining pool. They've mined over 1.25 million Bitcoins. They offer a range of features like the ability to change how your payouts work. They've got dark mode. If you're operating Brains OS Plus firmware, you actually get 0% pool fee. So that's also a cool feature. Brains are also the creators and are driving adoption of Stratum V2, the next generation pooled mining protocol. So make sure you go and check them out. The website for that is brains.com. That's brains with two eyes. Back to the discussion with Eric. Right, so essentially they would need a, a routing node operator yeah. uh, to do that role. Of course, they can use tooling like you know the likes of Thunderhub and Amboss and Lightning sure, Terminal sure. and RTL and so on, um, but they would need to know how to operate the nuts and bolts of that. Um, and then from a privacy point of view, let's explore that a little bit. So currently, people who want to be private in Bitcoin today, it generally requires the use of various or multiple privacy techniques you might be using say CoinJoin to mask your on-chain footprint you might be using tor to sort of anonymize or mask your internet your ip footprint uh so with the minimint idea the privacy aspect mostly comes down to the i guess the anonymity set of the different amounts so let's say you've got a 1 million sat iou token or ecash token and a 10 million sat i mean i guess that's similar to how let's say in some of the CoinJoin um, implementations, they have set fixed amounts, like 1 million sats, 5 million sats, 50 million sats. It's kind of similar in that sense because they're creating an anonymity set that whoever was paying out could have been any one of those uh, people, right? Yeah, exactly. It's the same problem they're trying to solve with this. And uh, I think for Minimint, it won't be a big deal because uh, as long as most people are in the same range of net worth, let's say, then they should have a similar distribution among their different denomination uh, eCash tokens. Uh, what could be problematic if you have uh, one really rich guy in your local community and everyone knows he's rich right. and no one else has uh, nearly as uh, much capital as he has. And then he might be the only one who keeps uh, like 10 million SAT eCash tokens around. Like he's the only one who gets issued these. And that's, that would be a problem because you could definitely identify uh, his transactions because only he would spend these uh, high-value eCash tokens or receive these high-value eCash tokens. And so if you have a huge disparity uh, in net worth, then it might make sense for the richer people to uh, like keep more of the lower denomination tokens. But in practice, like why would you do this? Like If you have enough money, then please 
take some money out of the federation. Like you can store it in an on-chain UTXO. Like especially if you have 10 million or 100 million Satoshi, then that will probably be always worth having an on-chain UTXO. Like for smaller uh, amounts, maybe not. We don't know. But for such huge amounts, that I think 100 million, should it be uh, like 0.1 Bitcoin? I know exactly, but it uh, sounds like it. Uh, yeah. You probably want to have this as a UTXO owned in your hardware wallet or even your own multi-sig setup, something like that. Yeah, I see. So, uh, so I don't see the big problem. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially, the yeah, essentially the idea is there would be a big enough number of people all using the the eCash tokens, and of the similar amounts, right, the one million sat or however whatever amount, uh, or you know, hundred thousand sat or however much, and whenever they are making payments, uh, or swapping out, it's it's all kind of mixed around and balanced around because of that. Um, and so then privacy then is helped and protected a little bit because now you're not trusting one central entity not to dox those individuals. And presumably in this idea, these individuals could have signed up for that mint without KYC. So that's actually yeah, exactly. the other, yeah. that's the, that's the other interesting part, uh, that they could operate the mint without that. Um, and I, I mean, maybe as another example, let's imagine some of the Bitcoin exchanges of today, they might be able to provide a privacy benefit to their users because they could have had to maybe KYC that user on the way in on the website. But actually, if, if they could provide them a mini mint way to spend, then they're kind of spending still in a private way. So that's, that's an interesting. Yeah. Although idea. it depends if the regulators would be OK with that or the compliance team would be OK with that. They might not. And then, you know, so, well, like, yeah, I had to talk with some people interested in issuing uh, like securities uh, using the same eCash technique. And the other idea was you carry a C essentially on every, uh, like when you enter the system or when you exit the system. But what you do in between, like nobody really cares. Like right. that's one yeah. way to look at it. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of I'm, reminds me of stable yeah. coins, even like Tether today or yeah, even exactly. like liquid liquid assets, kind of a similar idea there, right? Like, uh, is it Stoker, the liquid yeah, one? For the STO. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the security tokens uh, offering stuff. There, you always have a cosigner that knows your identity. I see. Yeah. So your your trading uh, partner doesn't need to know, but uh, like there's some entity where you have KYC and yeah, not a big fan of KYCing in general. So <laughs> <laughs> fair I, enough. I kind of still fair hope enough. someone will build a like no KYC uh, STO uh, yeah. tool and then. Maybe we will actually see some of these federations uh, incorporating as uh, like autonomous organizations, like actual Bitcoin DAOs. Uh, right, like a true anarcho-capitalist lightning. Yeah, exactly, exactly. IOU, eCash, bank all merged into one and people can yeah. sort of uh, get some more privacy by being a member or a customer of this, that kind of thing. That's an and idea there. Nobody has to be identified because it's just software. I'm providing the software. And uh, if some Twitter nums come together and run such an eCash federation, uh, who is to stop them? Like run it behind Tor and uh, like, okay, good luck, big brother. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> right. And I think that's the other aspect as well, because with Bitcoin and privacy, it's we have to think about it holistically, right? Because it's like, how did you acquire those coins? And how did you spend those coins? Because if you had to KYC to get those coins in the first place, well, it's that you know that's already a big part of the the battle being lost right there on the get-go so i guess the idea potentially like let's say in the future i mean this might be years off before this idea even comes to fruition 
but it might be that people want to acquire some of their first stats by getting these tokens. Like maybe in the future there's peer-to-peer markets, and as an example, you, Eric, want to get started with Bitcoin, and I, I've got my, whatever, my 100,000 sat uh, eCash token, and you pay me whatever the fiat value of that is in cash, and I sell you this token, and that's your onboarding, that's your no KYC onboarding. Yeah, exactly. So, and like uh, one interesting fact here, uh, you don't have the problem of incoming capacity you have with Lightning. Like with Lightning, you would need to open a channel first to receive these funds from you. But with uh, Federated eCash, and Lightning integration, you have this one Lightning node someone else is running and presumably they will always keep enough incoming capacity so they can actually collect the fees from allowing you to receive and send funds. So you can actually go to someone who sells uh, Lightning Bitcoin like for cash or whatever or gold coins and uh, then just receive uh, via Lightning and get eCash tokens in the end. Yeah, I see. I think that will be a really smooth onboarding experience because it's it has low fees. Uh, like Lightning has super low fees. Uh, like all my Lightning transactions are between uh, 0.1 and 0.2% in fees. And then maybe at uh, 0.2% in fees from the Federation or whoever is operating this. Um, but now you can physically buy Bitcoin without any on-chain fees. And I think that will be a nice peer-to-peer future. Yeah. So uh, to be clear, though, that would require a network effect to be built up around this, right? So as an example, there's nothing stopping people doing this even now with, say, liquid BTC, right? They could be trading LBTC for cash, uh, but it's not like that there's very liquid and, you know, big markets for that today. But the hope, I guess, the hope is that people could use these mini mint ideas as a way to potentially onboard into the network in a private way. And then later when they want to, they can withdraw those coins out into their, let's say they've accumulated a large enough balance of eCash tokens, they can now withdraw that out to their hardware wallet or their exactly. multi-sig on-chain, take it back on-chain and have only the spending amount inside the mint, let's say. And I'd say there's not even uh, the big uh, bootstrapping problem that Liquid is facing because if you integrate Lightning from the beginning, then everyone who supports Lightning supports your solution, in that case, federated eCash. Uh, so, so in I can that use sense, all you can the Lightning infrastructure. Right. You can piggyback the Lightning network yeah, yeah. network effect because you exactly. can already, anyone who can already take a Lightning payment can now receive a payment from the Mint. Yeah, from the and mini everyone mint, who say. can pay Lightning invoices can, can suddenly in. sell me Bitcoin like without opening a channel to me. Like That's the biggest problem today and it's solved in different ways. Like I had a great uh, conversation with uh, Fiat Jeff and uh, Anton, I think, uh, about hosted channels uh, some weeks ago. And that's another solution, more centralized than federated eCash. But like we need to solve the onboarding problem with Lightning because currently, whenever I want to sell Bitcoin to someone physically, it's always on chain because there's no good way for them if they have a Lightning wallet to just receive. Like either it's fully custodial right now, or like we need to open a channel first. Like that's the Phoenix solution, which is also expensive, and we are just doing an on-chain transaction in the end. So there's no way around on-chain. Yeah. But with these federations, you have trade-off a new trade-off uh, like it's still custodial in a sense but trust minimized yeah and you can receive uh, funds easily so one other thing is just thinking through and maybe this is coming back to the lightning gateway idea just thinking through the balance let's let's say okay let's say you and me and two other people are setting up a mini mint and we have to balance the hot wallet with the cold right so we've kind of got our lightning gateway funds and we've got our cold storage how do we sort of manage that balance between them because 
isn't it also possible then that if the I don't, I don't maybe there's some fancy cryptography thing or something here, but how is it that the users know that we aren't sort of just you know going fraudulent with the money right. uh, and That's... like running kind of like a lightning <laughs> node that looks like it makes payments or makes some payments, but actually we've kind of taken some of the Bitcoin for ourselves. So that's a really good point. Um, there is a reason that the Lightning Gateway is an independent operator. Like they have to come up with additional capital. Like uh, whatever's in Lightning Node is not counted towards the backing capital of the Federation. Right. And so they are an independent economic actor. And whenever they receive a payment uh, for a user and uh, then tell the Federation, oh, we just received um, some money for the user, then the Lightning Gateway actually has to give eCash tokens to the Federation so that the Federation can pay the user. And the other way around, if the user wants the Lightning Gateway to pay some invoice, then they have to send these eCash tokens to Lightning Gateway. And uh, so the Lightning Gateway will have some float of uh, eCash and can exchange it for on-chain Bitcoin if they need to. Like if all the uh, transactions are outgoing, then eventually they will have a lot of eCash and no funds in their channels. And so they just withdraw some Bitcoin from the Federation and open a new channel. And that's like their business decision to make uh, when to do this and how often to do this. I see. Gotcha. And so their job is essentially to manage the availability, the liquidity exactly. you know, of the lightning aspect. And I guess what you're saying is they would be a different person. So let's say it's you, me, and two other people who are running uh, the on-chain aspect of it, the, the Federated Mint, and some other fifth person is the one running the Lightning Gateway. Is that the model? Yeah, it could be that way, or it could be one of us, uh, because the, the beauty of this is the Lightning Gateway isn't really trusted except for uptime. Like, all they have to guarantee is that there are funds in the channels to uh, go in both directions and that they are well-connected and uh, always operational. Right. Um, and so, but they can steal funds. Right, but that would also be a competitive aspect, right? Because let's say... Okay, as an example, let's say there's some mini mint, and the guy running the lightning node there is a doofus, right? He has no idea, and he's not. Yeah. He doesn't have his channels aren't balanced. He doesn't have high uptime, right? And and then the users are getting a bad experience, so they're like, "Oh, this mint is this mint sucks. I'm gonna go over to I don't know Eric's mint because it's better than you know Stefan's mint. His because they Stefan's mint they can't manage the lightning node, right? Uh, you actually wouldn't have to switch the mint. Uh, like if I was such a great uh, lightning node operator, which I ain't, like it's uh, fucking hard. <laughs> uh, but if I was, <laughs> like then I could just connect to the same uh, federation and provide a different lightning gateway. And if people notice that I'm providing much better service, then they can just uh, use me. Like uh, whenever you do a lightning payment, what you do mint internally is you create a smart contract kind of. And the smart contract says... Uh, if someone can present the federation with a pre-image to a certain hash, then they can take the money out of that contract. And they also require a signature with a public key, and the public key essentially identifies the lightning gateway. So uh, you can't have two lightning gateways, and then like one of them also operates a node in front of the other one, and uh, so sees the pre-image to some hash earlier and then can claim some uh, contract uh, but you also bind it to the lightning gateway that you expect to receive the invoice so you can have multiple of these lightning gateways right so the short so the short version is each federation could have multiple lightning gateways yeah and we can and we can could even yeah. be permissionless and we could maybe think of the lightning gateways similar to how we think of lsps lightning service providers today exactly that's pretty good point um, like the only um, like limitation is that the lightning gateway has to trust the federation as well 
So you don't, as Lightning Gateway, you don't want to connect to any, uh, to all federations that somehow pop up and just provide your services because you have to hold the, the eCash tokens and so you have this counterparty risk. I see. I but see. if you know some federation and trust them enough uh, and think it's profitable, then you can just connect to them, announce that you provide your services there, and people can choose to use you. I see. So there's like... A- in some ways, the Federation runners have to trust a little bit the Lightning node or Lightning Gateway guy, and the Lightning Gateway guy also needs to put a little bit of trust in the Federation guys, because each could sort of run off with the other guy's money, right? I, I wouldn't say that the Federation has to trust the Lightning Gateway. They don't. Um, right. Like, the users have to, uh, to in some to some degree, because they trust them to actually make the payment, because otherwise gotcha. it just times out and the user can take the, their money back, but they didn't make the payment and it's just annoying. But after your Lightning Gateway does this to you once, then you probably switch to another one. Right. So that's not a good business practice because you don't make any money using these failed payments. So you better be operational. Yeah, um, right. Interesting so stuff. So the only trust relationship is the Lightning Gateway trusts the Federation because they hold collateral inside uh, the Federation necessarily because they accept eCash tokens in exchange for lightning payments so there is some trust in that direction users also trust the federation but the federation has to trust no one else yeah interesting that's a good point yeah and because they're holding the keys right they're holding the coins yeah so so at the end of the day they are the they're the ones running the service right um well also the lightning node guy but yeah um and then so how does how does all this stuff have you thought about things like, you know, DOS attacks? Like, uh, what kind of things are there around that? Like, would a mini-mint have to deal with that kind of thing? Like, could people try to, I don't know, turn up and just uh, flood the server with requests? Definitely. Like, that's actually a big problem because the cryptography used to generate these uh, threshold-signed uh, blind eCash tokens, that's really slow. Like the verification of one of these tokens takes about four milliseconds, and that's a lot of time in CPU uh, time scales. So with only like f- uh, like a few requests per second, a few hundred requests per second, you could totally uh, uh, make the mint inoperable, totally dos it. So you need to have some way to um, limit this. But I haven't really invested too much energy into fixing this problem. Because right now, I imagine the use of such federations to be a community internal. And that also means that you can restrict access. Like, for example, you have a few people that want to cooperate and use such a federated mint. They all know the same password to it. Like, they can all just share the same password. That doesn't change anything in anonymity. Like, if they're all using the same, then you can't distinguish them. But you still limit the availability to outsiders. So... Pure grieving attacks are pretty much uh, ruled out that way because, like, inside your community, there might not be an asshole that tries to just take down your federation because they would hurt themselves and like it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, later about... on, we might want to implement yeah. some anti-DOS measures. Yeah. And what about on-chain fees? Like, who pays them in this in the model? Like, I guess if I'm depositing sats into the... I guess I'm paying the on-chain fees for that. But then every time there's a withdrawal, I guess the mini-mint operators are running are paying for that, right? Yeah. Like, generally, fees uh, inside the federation are up uh, to the federation itself. Like, they can decide to charge whatever fees they want. So, for example, when it comes to on-chain transactions, then you could have a policy that the federation periodically votes on how much um, withdrawal request costs the user. 
and uh, they have to uh, manage it in a way that they don't lose money on the withdrawals. So they could always set it like 50% over what they're effectively paying on chain. So they make a little bit of profit, uh, but still allow people to make rather cheap uh, on-chain withdrawals. Right, yeah. And so then the idea could be, I mean, hypothetically, people could get together and say, hey, let's run a mini-mint and it'll be a profitable venture. Let's run this as like a business to give privacy and scalability for our users. Yeah, you could probably try to do this. I'm not sure if it will be successful because you'd need a really large user base for this to make sense because users don't like fees. So if you charge too much, then they will probably leave for someone else. And generally, such big federations with a lot of users, like you'd probably need a few million users to make this profitable if you have full-time people on staff. Um, That isn't my ideal uh, future that I want to build. So initially, there will not be a support for bigger federations really like not something i optimize for so you see this as more like a community hosted node hosted mini mint idea definitely initially like ideally it will stay that way but i also know that market forces tend to prefer like uh, bigger organizations because they can provide potentially better support or just more development power into uh, user experience and all this stuff so Maybe we will see bigger federations one day. And one thing that was already suggested to me and uh, in a thread about Signal, like uh, Signal and uh, Shitcoin, um, why not do it with a federated eCash system? Like that would be pretty cool and I kind of agree. But then again, like Signal has this philosophy of not allowing um, different operators. Like you can't have run your own Signal server and still connect to other uh, Signal users. So they probably wouldn't allow this concept where you connect to whatever federation you want but they would want to run their own so that would make it rather centralized maybe we'll do do this one day attempt this one day maybe not Uh, i don't know it might be a net positive uh, for signal users in the end because then they don't have to use some shitcoin Mm. Uh, but ideally i wouldn't want to see federations larger than maybe uh, ten thousand users yeah and so what we've been talking about has been obviously this is very early stage right this is all like a theoretical thing when do you think this kind of idea would actually start in like a basic way and you know what what's needed to get there right do you need like community support or what what are you what are you looking for yeah right now it's uh, still under heavy development uh, so generally people who like to develop software in rust and uh, like bitcoin and lightning uh, please check out uh, Minimint. That's uh, github.com slash fediment slash Minimint. You'll probably also put it in the show notes, I guess. So yeah. Uh, and currently my plan is to have some sort of a closed prototype uh, running end of next year, like hopefully in October, because then there's the next uh, Hackers Congress Palenipolis in Prague. And uh, like last year, I already bought a coffee with a really hacky setup and a fake uh, like rec test and the lightning integration where the lightning node was running on mainnet and the lightning node was paid using rec test tokens and then paying a mainnet lightning invoice so it was super hacky setup but it worked and it was pretty amazing to see the first transaction go through for a real product but next time ideally i want to do it uh, for real and have a running federation that a few people can connect to and then maybe in two or three years we will see the first like mainstream applications of this technology but till then there a lot of bugs have to be figured out like do you ex 
it has to be completely reinvented because it's just such a different approach having these eCash tokens to um, other versions of how to interact with Bitcoin. And that needs to be a lot of research. Yeah, but potentially quite a promising idea in terms of scalability because long term, we know, like projecting out, who knows, 10, 15, 20 years out, we know not every person on Earth can have a UTXO. That's just going to blow out the UTXO set in Bitcoin. So we need ideas that relate to people being able to share coins and ideally have other trade-offs around how they do that. So this is one idea. Obviously, the multi-party channels is another one, and there are other a few other ideas out there, but um, it's an interesting one uh, for, from a longer-term perspective. At least that's how I'm seeing it. Um, so any uh, thoughts, any final thoughts there for the listeners? Why should they uh, look into this? Um, it's a really amazing opportunity here that we have to both give you the scalability and at the same time make privacy uh, the most user-friendly option. And that's, I think, what is needed because you will never get people to uh, seek out privacy for privacy's sake. But if we build this uh, new scaling technology for Bitcoin, which uh, will be relevant in the next like five to 10 years, uh, to include privacy by default, we might win this privacy battle and we might uh, get most people to use private means of transaction instead of uh, banks and KYC and surveillance. Yeah, that's a really good that's... way to put it. Because what matters is by default. And if people can default use this, it's easy and it's more private, then that's a pretty big win. Yeah, and it's cheaper. Like, right. That's what will bring the users in in the end. Like it's easy and it's cheap and that it's private. It's a nice side effect. Fantastic. And that's how we win. Yeah, that's how we win. Thank you. So, uh, Eric, uh, where can uh, people find you online? Obviously, there's the GitHub link and anywhere else you'd like people to find you. Uh, mostly twitter.com slash Eric Sirion. Uh, you'll probably put a link uh, for that in there of course. too. And um, I also, on fedimint.org, I have some more resources about the general concept of federated German eCash and also a link to a Telegram group. Uh, you might link to it too. Like I saw you joined yesterday, so... Uh, that is a great place if you're interested in the concept but didn't understand something, then just come there, go there, ask about it. And uh, like I'm there, uh, Max Hillebrand is there. He is also quite excited and was one of my earliest supporters. And uh, yeah, someone of us will answer your questions. Fantastic. Well, I'm uh, uh, looking forward to seeing the idea coming to fruition. And uh, thanks for joining me, Eric. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. It was a blast. Then see you again. See you in the Citadels. <laughs> see you in the Citadels. Get the show notes at stefanlevera.com. If you're enjoying the show, make sure you leave a review and you share the show with your family and friends. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels.